This entire year at Northside, we have been discussing and learning and hopefully practicing grace and learning about God's unmerited favor to us and how God's unmerited favor looks in us. And I'm very excited today uh, to be starting a new series, the textual series, which means we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. You'd follow along in your Bibles or scroll along or whatever device you use to, to get in God's Word. I'll encourage you to go ahead and begin to turn there as we think about what grace looks like. We've been in, endeavoring with these challenges, a monthly challenge to put on grace and to, to put sort of give it hands and feet and let it look like something beyond just a sermon. I mean, all, I'm all for sermons, obviously, but there's got to be a practical side to that. If all you do is hear me, maybe fill out an outline and then leave and nothing ever changes, grace has no practical effectiveness in your life. We have to let it show. We have to let it shine. And that's what we're endeavoring to do. Last month's challenge was the April blessing of uh, the April challenge to be a blessing. And what we meant by that was to find a ministry to partner with to bless with your time or your treasure or your talents. Uh, I hope that you did that. Maybe be involved in CR or uh, um, soup kitchen or uh, any of the numerous good works that we've been involved with. Uh, Simple House. Many of you have been involved in different ways. Or just finding your own thing to do. That's what the Tyson family did. And um, they actually decided to take the April challenge a little further than just April. Uh, they are the, uh, I guess, the extra credit students. So um, Kelly asked the kids to make a list of some things that they could do to bless other families. Not just during the month of April, but during the summer. And Will Tyson, uh, here's his answer. And you probably can't see too much of that. So... I'll show you the pictures a little more closely. Uh, the first thing, he came up with four ideas. He said the first thing we could do is we could give pillows and blankets to the homeless. Well, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, there's a good, always a need for that and different ministries that could use pillows and blankets and, and help people who are without a home. The second thing he said was, well, maybe uh, the idea that he had was we could perhaps give food to those in need. So here he is giving some Food to those in needs, uh, to those in need. Uh, third idea he came up with was to buy lunch for someone who's behind you in line. He clearly shows this is my food and this is the other guy's food, but I like the sentiment. Uh, he's very clear on that. And the fourth one he said was we could buy Mr. Toby some Chick-fil-A. He said, said, that helps right now. I don't know if you can enjoy the beauty and simplicity of good art, but this is good art. I'll point it out to you in a few ways. First of all, we can see here clearly this is a chicken. These are chicken nuggets. Now, if you'll note, though, the proportion of the size of the nuggets to the people in the picture, this is clearly a nugget tray for Mr. Toby. Secondly, I am very impressed with the amount of vertical that I am getting in that picture. Way, Will has more faith in me than I have faith in me, but uh, that's pretty close. A third is the very simple, you know, you might imagine if maybe you've seen me at Chick-fil-A or uh, run into me there, you know, what, what does Toby like when he's at Chick-fil-A? You know, he takes the suit off and he's in just his everyday, what's it like? That's pretty much it, just one word, yay! A couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night after church, I stopped by there as I often do for supper, 
And I went up to uh, order my food and, and uh, pulled out my wallet to pay. And the guy said, you know, I'm just going to comp this one. You are in here a lot. <laughs> Which was simultaneously thrilling and depressing at the same time. But I'm nothing if not predictable. And finally, you'll see, of course, that I'm smiling like I'm eating a banana sideways, um, which is what I look like. Now, you don't have to take Will's suggestion, but, um, Will, I appreciate your enthusiasm and gusto for taking on the challenge and really taking that seriously. So I have something for you here this morning. The cameras will have to work hard here. I have for you some free Chick-fil-A breakfast. No, that's not for you and me. But I want you to take your family to Chick-fil-A, okay? Because they're doing a good job and you guys are doing a good job. And I appreciate you guys. You're welcome. Appreciate you taking the challenge seriously. Now, you'll think, well, you're talking all this time about the April challenge. We're not in April anymore. And that's exactly right. We are not. We have a new challenge today for the month of May. And that is to speak gracefully. And the, the challenge is... This for the month of May, which really I guess we're six days into, so what you only have 25, 26 days left, um, is for there to be no complaining, no criticizing, no condemning, no gossip. Uh, and whenever you do, you're supposed to wear this bracelet on, on your hand. Whatever you do, any of those things, you catch yourself, move the bracelet from one hand to the other. So I have these bracelets that our loft kids are going to hand to you as you leave this morning. And you can choose red or blue. Doesn't matter to me. But on that verse is the challenge, speak grace fully, along with the verse from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4:29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. One of the most powerful things that we have as Christians, I'm convinced, is our words. And our words can do great building up, but they can also do a, a great harm in tearing down. So I want you to take the challenge for the next 26 days and see if you can speak grace fully. And kids, I give you full opportunity to call your parents if you hear them condemning or criticizing or gossiping. And you say, I think it's time to move the bracelet. Of course, they can do that to you, too. But we'll, hopefully you'll take this challenge and grab a bracelet on your way out. I look forward to hearing how some of you did it. Last week, some of you were so good. Uh, this is what got me started, started thinking about this challenge. So many of you came up to me last Sunday and said, Toby, I really appreciated your sermon. That was one of the best I've ever heard from you. And none of you are getting that except to, to realize that I didn't preach last Sunday. So shows how much you pay attention. All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is a book written to a beloved church, a beloved people. Paul has great joy over the church at Ephesus, and he's spending the first half of this book building up doctrine, and the last half of the book building up, okay, now that we know those things, we're going to do these things. And so Ephesians chapter 2, the verses that Jerry read, but I'm going to reread for you. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. 
You were dead in the trespasses of sins and, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. A pro tip for this series, it's best listened to all together because we're really kind of going just a few verses at a time. And so you might find today's sermon kind of hard to hear because it's pretty negative. Paul talks about the Ephesians and he talks to them about their life before Jesus. I want to take you back to envision your life before Jesus. You remember when that was? Before you were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, what was your life like? How did you live? How is it different then than it is now is probably a a more important question. As we remember uh, to advance the slides, which clearly I forgot to do. As we remember from Ephesians, they were all like this. They all, all of us at one time were objects of wrath. All of us at one time struggled. All of us at one time were dead in sin. Paul says you were dead in the, trespa- in the trespasses and in the trans- uh, and sins in which you once walked. Paul's pretty good about this in Ephesians. He also does this in the church, the letter to the church at Corinth. He says to them, I want you to remember who you were before you came to Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 says, and they're justified only freely by his grace. But Paul needs to remind us of who we are before Christ so that we can see the real difference that Jesus makes in our lives. I uh, Yesterday... You probably can't see it, but I had an accident with my phone. This is the, the timer, which I never pay attention to. Um, the uh, the screen is, if you can't tell, is just un- terribly destroyed. It just, uh, I was charging it, and I knocked it off the place where it was charging. It hit the ground, and though it had an OtterBox case, it just hit that, the glass at the wrong angle. And so it's all shattered and splintered. There were little, little tiny pieces of glass. And so, of course, from that point forward, everybody in the world is texting me. Um, and it's really hard to do to slide your finger across broken glass to send a message. And as I was doing the limited texting that I could, I finally just put it in airplane mode. I realized that there are some people that go around with cracked phones all the time. I'm getting that fixed as soon as I can. Because I can't stand that. But I've seen people go around that, that live with cracked phones. How many of you have a cracked phone screen? See? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. It, it's weird. Because the, 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 the screen is not as the manufacturer intended it. And yet it's broken. And you somehow get used to it. You just somehow work around it. You just somehow get comfortable with the cracks in the screen, whether you've got one or you've got a screen full of them. 
That's not how God intended our lives to be. This is the problem with sin. It, it breaks the screen. It, it cracks the glass. It, it makes us makes things harder than they and more painful than they need to be. And we live in a world that's full of broken screens. And there's really two ways to approach this problem. One is to ignore it and go on. Or the second is to do something about it. The problem is we can't really do anything about it. I mean, of ourselves... In the spiritual application, there's nothing we can do to remedy our problem. We need a Savior. And so that's why we have Christ. That's why we need Christ. But but let me remind you that sin in God's eyes is never what the original plan was. It's never how he designed you to be. And it, it isn't cute. And it isn't funny, and it isn't okay just because we live in a world that's full of it. It still breaks the heart of God every single time you lie or dishonor your parents or steal or covet. It still breaks the heart of God every time you lust, every time you get angry and lose your temper. It still breaks the heart of God every single time. And when we choose sin, slowly, little by little, it kills us. Spiritually, I know it's not in Ephesians, but turn to James chapter one, because James really outlines this process of what it looks like when a person loses the battle to their sin. When they stop dealing with the problem. James chapter one, verses 14 and 15, James says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then. Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It certainly brought forth death in the original sense, in in Genesis chapter 3, when it brought human beings into a state where they would now experience sickness and suffering and physical death. But sin, in our case, not only will do that, but it will lead to a a spiritual death if we do not do something about it. Here's where it gets worse than the cracked screen. Is that it will send you to hell. And I realize in the religious world that's a very unpopular word to use, but Jesus talked plenty about hell. And he said it was very real. And he did everything To keep you from hell. You say, how could a loving God send you to hell? Well, a loving God has done everything to keep you out of hell. Our position was, it's not just that our position was bad. It's that the direction and the destination which we were headed was even worse. We continue in Ephesians chapter 2 now. We're, We're not just dead in sin, but we're going the wrong way. Um, in the biblical sense, the word path refers to how you live your life. It's not a, oh, I don't know, here in a few weeks we're going to go to family camp. And by the way, I hope you're signed up. And and across the campus of the, of the Rock Springs Ranch there, there's all these different paths. There's the paved path. There's rocky paths. There's paths that maybe you know that others don't. But there's paths all over the place. In the biblical sense, when we're using the word path, we're referring to how we live our lives. Uh, turn to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, in making a 
Messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, he says this. I find this kind of interesting because I'd never really pulled it out before, but as I was focusing on the Lord's Supper this morning, here is what Isaiah says concerning this. Uh, We're in Isaiah chapter 53, and it's going to be about verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's only one perfect path to get to the Lord. And we've all, we've all fallen short of that path. In fact, Isaiah says that we've all gone to our own path. We've gone our own way. And because of that, the Lord poured out his wrath, not on us, which we deserved, but upon his son who did not deserve it. And he did that because he loved you and he wanted you to get back on the right path. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus described there's basically two uh, paths as far as you live. But essentially, Jesus says the wide there's the wide path that many are on, and it leads to destruction. It's very easy to get on the path, and it's very easy to stay on that path. And then there's the narrow path which leads to life. And Jesus says of it, few there be that find it. Jesus is saying. In, in regards to these two simple ways, you've got the world's way, which is very wide and very easy to follow. And you've got the way of God, which is very narrow. And it's often hard. And there's not many people that desire to find it nor stay on it once they get on it. It's the, the, the difference between forgiving someone or taking revenge on them. It's the difference between loving someone because they're your brother or sister In Christ or hating them secretly. It's the difference between being Christ centered in your life or being self centered in the way that you live. My question for you is which path will you take? I've got one final verse for you, 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Whoever says, I know him, talking about Jesus now, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this. We may know that we are in him. This is key. I said just verse five. We're going to go one more verse. Verse six. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Do you, do you walk as Jesus did? Do you, do you seek to emulate his behavior and his teachings? Or do you just say, yeah, I know those verses. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I go to church. There's a difference here. Okay, there's a big difference in claiming to be a Christian and walking like a Christ follower. I mean, even in that term Christ follower I mean many of the people say well if you just invite Jesus into your heart you know the Bible never says a thing at anywhere in scripture about inviting Christ into your heart Jesus said to follow me 
to, to obey my commands. That's how you know. Now, I'm getting to the point where Church of Christ people go, okay, yes, now he's getting to believe and baptize, and I've done that, and praise God for that, because that's the first step. But that's not the only step. You see, if you repented and baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're in Christ, and you're in the church, but in your business you cheat people, you, you take shortcuts and cut corners everywhere and every which way you can, you're not being a Christ follower. If, if you're a husband and you're being abusive, you're, you're not being a Christ follower. If you're a wife and you're not being submissive, you're not being a Christ follower. If you barely can find time to open your Bible, it's even hard to open it in here. And when you get home from church today, you'll just throw it on a table somewhere. It'll sit there for a week and you'll fill your mind and heart full of all sorts of garbage on television, Netflix, YouTube, what have you. Are you really hungering after the word that Christ wants you to have in your heart? See, there's a difference between claiming to know Christ and walking as Christ called you to walk, to going the right way. We um, went long in a lot of ways this morning, and so I am cutting the sermon short here. I know my type A's hate that, but uh, we just extended the series by one more week. This morning, I have a very important question to ask you. And that is this. Which path are you on? Are you on the wide path that leads to destruction? It's easy to be on. And here's the truth. You can be in church on a Sunday morning sitting in a pew and still be living on the wide path. It's important. We have to check ourselves and know. I want to encourage you to be living on the straight and narrow path that leads to life. That Christ blazed the trail that the world refuses to follow and may even mock you for following. But let me ask you this morning, in sincerity of heart, are you on the narrow path that leads to life? Is there an area of your heart and your life that is not as it should be, that is completely 180 degrees against what God would have you to do? If there is anything, then you, you need to repent. The Bible word for that is turn around, to start going the right way, and to seeking Christ, and to living and walking as he walked. This morning, if you have a need to know Christ, to put him on in baptism, and to take that first step, or to repent and get off the wide path and go back to the narrow path that leads to life, whatever your need might be, won't you come and meet our elders down front as together we stand and sing.